0: The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. For those who don't know me, my name is Steph, and I'm a psychologist, and I'm the host of the What is Eating You podcast. And on today's episode, I have an inbox message on Instagram from someone who's given me consent to share their story, their insights, their struggles, and basically their experience with an eating disorder and how their family was involved. This message comes from a male, which is super interesting because males generally don't report to treatment as much as females or eating disorders are usually very expected to just happen in the female population. So I'm really glad this message came from a male and we can share it today. Hey Steph, I have a small story that I thought could give insight on how impactful parental influence can be on eating disorders. People don't realize how deep it goes. And it's really true. People just think, oh, my eating came from dieting or came from this. But where did that come from? What was your mother like growing up? What was your father like growing up? Not even around eating. How did they comment? How did they make you feel? And this is not to blame parents. Pretty sure their parents messed them up too. So it does go deeper for many people. Back to the message. I've struggled with bulimia nervosa since I was 14. I'm 22 now. I'm in remission and living life happily. Remission, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically when you're no longer showing signs or symptoms and it's kind of being in recovery. My narcissistic father was a big effectuator for my disorder's development. During my childhood, he was extremely abusive and displaced all his hatred and shame for himself onto me. So let's talk about narcissism. Basically, narcissism occurs on a spectrum. You can have narcissistic traits, and then on the far end of the spectrum, you can have someone with a narcissistic personality disorder. We do see a very strong correlation, or I do in private practice, see a very strong correlation between narcissistic parental traits and eating disorder behavior. Now, what is a narcissistic parent or what is narcissistic tendencies that people may have, right? It can vary. And look, not all narcissism is bad. There's okay. It's all right to have self-esteem. It's good to have some ego, but you don't want it to be at the detriment of other people, right? So basically, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is diagnosed when narcissism extends beyond a personality trait and it persistently affects many areas of your life. Mental health experts consider only one type of narcissism, but researchers and other experts have found there are multiple ways that in actual fact it can show up as part of someone's personality right? So in general, narcissism is closely tied to extreme self-focus, an inflated sense of self-esteem, a strong desire for recognition and praise. So when there is a narcissistic parent in a household, it's not what you think. It doesn't look as what you think. It can often look like this. Mom is always so tired. She always does so much work. We need to recognize how much work mom is doing for the family. We need to praise her. We need to talk her up to people. We need to be the best kid that she can experience. We need to sing her praises when she's not around, right? With narcissistic parents, love felt conditional. It was all about the parent and you constantly feel like you were trying to win her or him over. Now, if this is you, I want you to know that there will always be a vulnerable child inside you wanting your parents' approval. Okay. So the question is not how we deal with the narcissistic parent, but as an adult, how do we protect our peace? How do we protect our vulnerable child from being activated? And I can do another episode on how, but let's go back to this person's message. A core memory I have, which I believe was the moment my eating disorder formulated was during dinner when I was 13 or 14. We were having a quote unquote normal sized dinner, no disproportionate sizes or unhealthy ingredients. And we all had the same portion. I had finished my dinner quite quickly that day because I just come home from sports training and I was a teenager. My father reacted to me finishing my dinner by saying in an extremely dismissive and shameful way, you ate all of that? Wow. No wonder you're fat. <sighs> Where do we go from here? I don't even know how parents think it's okay to say this, right? And they might say, oh, I'm just trying to help you. I can't say anything. I can't talk without you getting upset. It is true. You are overweight, etc. Parents, children, when young developing brains, because your brain doesn't develop until you're 25, they don't hear and think, my parents said, this is why you're fat. All they hear is, I am fat. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. My parent hates me. If My own parent hates me. How can anyone in the world like me? Now, if this parent is a narcissist, an important thing to know is that narcissists rely on others for self validation and self worth. And often they are projecting their own volatile feelings about themselves, their own low self worth, onto others. And this is what could be happening in this dynamic. I feel so crap inside. That I'm going to project this onto my young child. I'm going to comment on them. I'm going to get a reaction out of them. Because if I get a reaction out of this child, then the focus is taken off me in a sense. It's called narcissistic supply. They look for ways to get supply from other people that makes them feel good because narcissists deep down often have a very fragile sense of self. They have a very fragile sense of who they are as a person. When he said that, all I could think in my mind was, "I now remember why I have a debilitating eating disorder, personality disorder, substance abuse disorder, and have attempted suicide multiple times." Thank God, I'm one year into DBT slash schema therapy and have an amazing psychologist. Because if this happened a year or six months ago, I would have had five tubs of ice cream, five joints, half a bottle of vodka, and substances as well. I want to share this because it's an eye-opener. I'm also an Australian Psych student, and I love your TikTok. Thank you so much. So how can a narcissistic parent or how does a parent who criticizes your weight lead you to develop an eating disorder? Let me tell you. One. Early in childhood, you are basically a blank slate and your early childhood experiences pave the way for how you see the world. How you see the world is known as a schema. And when we talk about schema therapy, this is what we refer to. So schema essentially is your representation of how you see the world around you. It came from Jung, 1990, who developed schema therapy And this is for people who fail to respond to traditional therapy such as cognitive behavioural therapy. So people with personality disorders, uh, alcohol use disorders, substance use, all of that. Now our schemas begin as adaptive and they're relatively accurate representations of a child's environment. But they can become maladaptive and inaccurate as the child grows up. Now your schemas, how you see the world, plays a major role in how individuals think, feel, act, and relate to others. So for example, say as a child I got bitten by a dog. My schemas or beliefs around dogs is that dogs are dangerous, I need to stay away, I can't be near a dog, can't be trusted, and that influences how I think and feel and how I act around dogs. I may avoid them, I may be very cautious, I may think all dogs, I might generalise that and think all dogs are dangerous. And this can affect areas of my life. Now, schemas, our beliefs are triggered when individuals encounter environments reminiscent of the child environment that produced them. Okay. So for example, if as an adult, a dog is in my vicinity and that triggers this schema, oh my God, dogs are dangerous. I'm in trouble. I'm not safe. I'm going to feel the same way I did as a child. Now, that's one example. Early maladaptive schemas or unhelpful beliefs are the result of unmet emotional core needs. So, aversive childhood experiences such as narcissistic parents, neglect, abuse, not being validated, and it doesn't have to be extreme. This is why a lot of people miss this piece of the puzzle because they think, oh, it's not like I was abused. It's not like I was neglected. It's not like my parents didn't feed me. Doesn't matter. If you haven't heard of the ACE test, which is aversive childhood experiences, if you score more than four or higher, I might do another episode on this, little things, not being listened to as a child, not being validated, not being hugged, not having affection, parents not telling you that they're proud of you, things like that affect you as a child. And when your core emotional needs are not met, this leads to maladaptive beliefs in different areas of your life. So for this young guy who from a young age was told he was fat by his dad, he ate too much. In that moment, he would have developed maladaptive beliefs. I'm not good enough. Dad doesn't love me. No one loves me. I'm unworthy. Right? And then when that belief is dysregulated, when that belief is activated, that then sets off layers of coping. Now, these modes, coping modes or coping responses are the specific behaviors through which these three broad coping styles are expressed. So there's basically three coping styles. So when we get a negative belief, there's three coping styles. There's surrender, avoidance, overcompensation, now, when we talk about binge eating, drugs, and alcohol, that this guy's talking about, this is an avoidance strategy. It's called a detached self-soothing coping mode. So to deal with the negative feelings the negative beliefs, they detach and they self-soothe through food, through alcohol, through drugs. Because when I'm in this numbed state, I don't have to deal with my dad's beliefs. I don't have to deal with my dad's thoughts. I don't have to deal with this defective side of me. And defectiveness often has strong associations with personality disorder symptoms as well. And they find that individual schemas have been found to be significantly associated with theoretical relevant personality disorders, right? So for example. Our schemas around mistrust and abuse is really highly correlated with paranoid personality disorder. Yeah. Control, self-discipline, insufficient self-control, and self-discipline is associated with borderline personality disorder, which I'm assuming that's the personality disorder this person is experiencing. So different beliefs, different experiences can lead to the manifestation of different mental health conditions. Now, I'm really happy that this person has been in therapy and they said they're one year into it. The reason therapy doesn't work for many people, they think it doesn't work is because they don't stick it out. Your whole life has formed who you are today. Your whole life has formed your habits. It's not going to take 12 sessions. It's not going to take a Medicare mental health plan for many people with deep seated stuff. And you've got to commit to the process. It's like going to a gym. You go once a week for four weeks. How much is it going to change? Versus you do that for a year or you go to the gym and you eat healthy and you have balance and you have a good night's sleep and you have rest. Who's going to see more results? The same is go to therapy, apply the strategies, do the reading, ask your therapist questions. Going to therapy is one part. Going to therapy is like going to the gym, but it's what you do around that that's going to set up your change and your habits. So if this is you and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I struggle with this. I've probably got really bad schemas. What do you do about it? The first thing is to build your awareness, your psychological awareness. So when you feel triggered or upset, write it down. What am I experiencing? What am I thinking? What are my unhelpful beliefs? What are my unhelpful behaviours? Yeah. And once you do this over time, you're going to start to notice themes. Are there themes around worth? Are there themes around being faulty? Are there themes around mistrust and abuse? Are there themes around perfectionism? Are there themes around being over-controlling of others? Then you're going to notice how do I cope with this? Well, When I feel this way, I go smoke. When I feel this way, I go binge and purge when I feel this way, I go reckless driving or reckless spending. So start to recognize what are my coping modes? What beliefs trigger these coping modes? And then we start to do two things. We want to exert control over our responses. We want to increase our healthy adult mode. So all these modes I'm talking about, all these schemas, there's a part of us called the compassionate adult or the healthy adult mode. And this is the part we build in therapy. And we're not born with this part. So we have to build this part. So obviously this person who's messaged me, they're building that part and they're only 22. Their brain doesn't develop till they're 25. So doing this is the best thing you can do. So if you can start to journal this, increase your awareness, you can then start to exit control over your responses And this is when we work on schema healing. We heal the responses, we heal the beliefs rather than perpetuating it. So schema perpetuation means we reinforce that negative belief. So if I believe no one likes me and I avoid going to parties, if I keep avoiding parties, I'm perpetuating that belief that no one likes me. So you've got two choices. You keep perpetuating the problem or you work towards healing it. Remember, a schema is a set of memories, emotions, bodily sensations, and cognitions. So, healing involves diminishing all of these intense memories connected to the belief. And there's so much there's behavior change, there's thought change, there's a lot that comes with it. I can do another episode if you have enjoyed this. A massive thank you to the person who sent in their story. If you have a story to share or a dilemma that you think people will benefit from listening, send me a DM on Instagram. I really love reading them and I appreciate people who contribute to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening for this amount of time. I'm grateful that you are here and you're investing in yourself. This is the first step to becoming the ultimate version of you. Have the best day. Remember, you're amazing and I'm proud of all you've accomplished so far.